0: to study, to teach. And we just pray now that as uh, your message would come through his words, just open us, open our hearts, open our ears to hear what you have for us today. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. As always, I'd like to start by hoping that you've had a good week. I hope that everyone has been able to stay warm, and I hope that you've had time to to seek the Lord in prayer and in reading of Scripture. Uh you know when the when the season begins to change, it's a special time of year. I know that the kids look forward to Christmas and some of us like winter more than others, but what it reminds me of when the frost starts to come and the cool weather moves in, is the sale. You know that the sail's always around the corner and now the sale has already happened. Uh, but there's, there's many things that happen at the sale. And for those of you that are visiting, the sale is something that our church does. It's a, a barbecue and an auction, and it allows us to kind of witness to the community of what it is like to be a church body working together. But it also allows us to donate money that we raise through various events to CAM, uh, Christian Aid Ministries, to help out missionaries. And one of the highlights of the sale is the auction. One of the highlights of the auction as you're walking around the gym looking at all the items are the quilts that are on the walls. And when you stop and you look at the quilts, they're very beautiful and you can tell all of the hard work that went into them. But if you stop and you think about a quilt, a quilt is not as simple as what it seems. A quilt is comprised of material material. Material of different colors, different types of material, different cuts of material, sewn together in different ways with different stitches by different peoples at different angles sitting around the table. And yet even though all these different parts are going into it, they are following a pattern. They're all following a master plan for this quilt to come into fruition. And so if we use a quilt and all the work that goes into it and how it's It's all being done under a master plan as a metaphor to look into the gospel of John today. I think we'll have kind of a a better understanding of where we're going with this, because in the gospel of John, especially in chapter five, which we'll be looking at today, there is a lot going on. Now, when we first began our study into John, we talked about all the different aspects, how John speaks in the present and John points us to the future at times. Or he'll take us backwards a chapter to chapter one and then all the way back into the Old Testament to the prophets and all the way back to Genesis. We talked about how in the beginning was the word. So Christ is part of the Trinity and he is the creation factor and the Trinity was present during creation. We talked about the prophets and how John the Baptist was the last prophet and the Psalms. And we talked about various aspects of the children of Israel. Dwayne told us about How the Son of Man must be raised up as the bronze serpent was in the rod when the children of Israel had to look upon it for healing. And then we talked about how there's parallels as well. As we continue to go through the Gospel of John, we see things growing at a rate, and they're growing with each other. So we see that the divinity of Jesus Christ is growing. We starts by walking and by John the Baptist declaring who he is, and then he has some disciples come, and then he... He changes water into wine and begins works and then he, he begins healing people and then the people begin to declaring him the savior of the world as the Samaritans did and then he begins performing miracles of healing and on and on until he eventually gets to the work on the cross. And as we continue to see his divinity growing, the hatred that the Pharisees have for him will be growing right along with it. In fact, where we're at already Just in chapter five, when we turn to chapter five, if you read verse 18, you will see that it states that John tells us at this point that the Pharisees were seeking all the more to kill him. Or depending on your translations, it may say we're seeking even more to kill him, implying that at this point, we're not even halfway through the gospel yet. And the Pharisees were already wanting to kill him because of the things that he was doing. And they were taking the laws of Moses and throwing them at him to try to get him to stop, to try to find something that would stick to arrest him with. And in the beginning of chapter 5, when Dwayne was teaching us about the healings that he had done to the man at the pool, they tried to get him for breaking the Sabbath, breaking the law for working on the Sabbath. And then they also tried to get him for blasphemy. And yet in all these things, it was not his time, so none of them, none of the them came about. But the other parallel that starts going through this book is the book of Exodus. Now, you may sit and you may ask yourself, well, how does Exodus weave its way into John? Well, first off, there's many similarities. You see Moses going before the leaders and the leaders in Egypt, and you see Jesus going before the leaders and the Pharisees and then Pilate. And then you see Moses doing works to show the leaders that he was from God. And you see Christ doing works, the works that are the will of the father. And some theologians, there's a book that's called Echoes of Exodus, where these men go through and they show you how Exodus weaves its way in all the books of the Bible. They're even so bold as to say that many of the plagues that Egypt and Pharaoh was hit with are actually flipped in the gospel of John and Christ brings man out of them. You see men being plagued with illness and injury. And then in the Gospel of John, Christ heals. You see the Nile being turned into a river of blood and the water being something that is a source of death. But Christ is the living water that brings life. You see Egypt being hit with darkness, but Christ is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And you see the, the blood being Smeared on the doorpost and the angel of death passing by. And those of us that are under the blood of the Lamb of the cross of Christ, death passes us by as well. You see the, the I am statements, the I am of Moses in the burning bush. And you see Jesus refer to himself in the Gospel of John as I am on seven different occasions. And then, of course, there's Moses from the book of Exodus. And Moses is named specifically nine times in the Gospel of John. But his laws are mentioned and referred to several times by Jesus and the Pharisees. And it's one of those laws that we're going to look at today. Turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy 19. And we're going to look at the law of witnesses. Deuteronomy 19. Let me see if I can get there. Now, to kind of understand where we're at and what Jesus is going to be referring to with the Pharisees, you have to understand where we began. Now, the man Moses is kind of a review for those of you who are not too familiar with him. He is the man that God used to bring the children of Israel out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. He is the man that God gave the Ten Commandments to, <clears throat> of the tabernacle and giving of the laws and so on, and leading the children of Israel and their wanderings through the wilderness. And in the book of Deuteronomy, the children of Israel have finally arrived and they're about to cross into the promised land. And so there are these different sections of the book. The first third of the book is kind of a summary or a a reminder of what all has happened in Israel's history since coming out of Egypt. Chapters 12 through 26 are laws concerning worship and concerning civil affairs. And then the last third of the book, the last seven chapters, 27 through 34, are encouragements for Israel And a reminder is to listen to God and to place God above all. But the laws is where we will start in chapter 19. We're going to read 19, verse 15. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. I will read that again because this is something important for us to keep in mind. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. So if a man was accused of a crime or of dishonoring God in any way, You had to bring him before a judge, and there had to be multiple witnesses so that the judgment could be just and holy and right in the ways and fair. And so the law of witnesses is mentioned from what I could find two different times in Deuteronomy. One is in chapter 19, which we talked about, and that is referring to the law of witnesses concerning accidental or purposeful murder. There had to be witnesses to that. And in chapter 17... Prior to that, the law of witnesses is mentioned mentioned earlier, and that is concerning worship and God. Either if your neighbors are bowing down to false gods or they're not sacrificing properly, or you see them bowing down and worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars, you were to bring them before a judge, you and the other witnesses, so that they could have proper judgment. So keeping this in mind, turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John chapter 5. The Gospel of John, chapter 5. Now remember what Forrest talked about last week whenever he was speaking about how Jesus is declaring to them that he is the Lord, he is the giver of life, and he is the judge. And verse 30 ends with Jesus talking about his judgment. And so we're going to pick up in 31, and we're going to read through 47. John 5, 31 through 47. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent me. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you're willing to come to me so that you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the father. The one who accuses you is Moses and whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so you can see that the interaction between the Pharisees and Christ is is sort of intensifying here. And Christ begins speaking about witnesses of him, witnesses of himself. Now, what and who are these witnesses that we had just read about, right? Well, the first one is John the Baptist. He tells them that you sent to John the Baptist. What he's referring to is in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 25, when the Pharisees went to John the Baptist to ask him who he was and who he was reporting to be. And John the Baptist in that moment bore witness of Christ by stating that there is one who follows him, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He begins telling them about Christ. And prior to that, in chapter 123, the priests and the Levites go to John the Baptist and ask him if he is... The Messiah, if he is Elijah, and he responds with, No, I am the one, <clears throat> I am the one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. But what he's referring to is that they had a respect for John the Baptist to where they would go and they would ask him, they would talk to him about what was going on. And even though they had this respect that allowed them to approach John the Baptist civilly, and listen to what John the Baptist told them. They were ignoring John the Baptist's witness in this moment and completely disregarding everything that he had told them. Now, the second witness that Christ talks about is his works. My works bear witness of who I am. He is doing the works of the will of the Father. Now, we know when we look at the grand scheme of the gospel, we know that all these different works and these miracles occur and it culminates in the... In Christ crucified on the cross, it so gives us eternal salvation. But so far at this point in the Gospel of John, what are the works that he has done? Well, he's turned water into wine. And remember, the vessels were filled to the brim with water. So it was impossible for Christ to cut it with anything. So it was a new creation. He intimately knew the, the woman at the well and her sin. And she went and testified of him to the Samaritan village. And they openly declared him the savior of the world. And then he heals a man's son by the man's faith. And then he heals the man at the pool. So there are two types of healing. There is faith and being in his presence have brought about healing. And so the Pharisees are seeing this, but the Pharisees are also missing that they are witnessing of him. Then he speaks about the Father and how the Father has borne witness of him. You have knowledge of the Scripture. You have knowledge of the Word of God. All Scripture points to me. He tells the, he tells the disciples that on the road to Emmaus and Luke. And in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist is baptizing Christ, the Father witnesses to who he is by a dove coming down from heaven. And when John the Baptist is speaking of this in John 1, and 34... He states that the Lord said, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then John the Baptist states, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So the father bore witness. And then he talks about the fourth witness, which is scriptures. All scripture points to me. And he's telling them in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is these that testify about me. The Pharisees knew Scripture. They had Scripture memorized. They were experts in the law. But it only went as far as their head. It wasn't going to their heart. Knowing Scripture and being able to quote it does not mean that you have a faith in what it points to. And then in a way, not to kind of get off on a a side route here, but that's kind of a plague of the 20th century church if you think about it. There are people that that know scripture because, and I have heard this, Jesus was a good moral teacher just like the Buddha was. Or you hear people that send their kids to church because it's a good way for them to learn moral lessons. Or I've just always gone to church and it's just what we do, no matter what type of a a social environment you're in. It's just what people in the area do. There are ways for you to know John 3.16 and yet not have faith in what it is pointing you to. And that is what Christ is telling them. You know the scriptures. The scriptures point to me. You're missing what it is telling you. And then he brings about the fifth witness, which is Moses. Now, they were trying to use Mosaic laws against him. We said that they were trying to get him for working on the Sabbath when he healed the man at the pool. And Jesus is going to use the Mosaic law that we talked about earlier, the law of witnesses, to go back to them. Because he tells them all these witnesses, and then he tells them, Moses spoke of me. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when you're reading through the Gospels, there's so much going on that it's kind of difficult to to look into everything as you're going through it. That's why we constantly are reading it and learning from it. But when I've heard or seen Jesus say, Moses spoke of me, I think back to Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And I'm like, okay, so there's a bunch of numbers and events going on and laws being given, but where is it talking specifically about the Messiah? And so when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, there is a prophecy about the Messiah coming, which coincidentally, it's between the law of witnesses for a false god and the law of witnesses for murder in 17 and 19. And in Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through 19, God is saying through Moses that, "...I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren." Like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And so you, you sit and you ask yourself, okay, well, would the would the Jews at this time understand... What Moses is speaking of, would they understand that in this moment he's talking about the Messiah? And the answer to that question is yes. If you look in the book of Acts in chapter three, Peter is talking and Peter quotes this verse from Moses. And he states the section where it says, whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which I shall speak, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Peter changes that last part, I will require it of him to his understanding, which is, which will not hear that from the prophet shall be destroyed from among his people. There is a judgment that is coming to those who will not listen and will not hear the words of the Messiah. They will be separated from their people. Now, what is Jesus doing in this section? Because initially when you read it, it looks like Jesus is using these witnesses to defend himself, right? Like, well, I don't know why you're having a hard time believing in me. Scripture talks about me, and the Father is bore witness of me, and John the Baptist. It looks like he's defending himself. But when you see the law of witnesses, the law of witnesses is not about how to defend yourself from accusations. It is about what to do when you bring someone to judgment. There's an accuser and there are witnesses Now Christ stated earlier in 530 that he is the judge. And so what we have going on here is he states that Moses is your accuser. And Moses has all of these witnesses. And so because Moses is their accuser and the witnesses are coming with him, Christ has the right to judge them. Christ is still the judge. Of what is going on? And they are being accused of not knowing the Father, not trusting in Moses, and putting their faith in Scripture, and not what Scripture points to. Because what is happening right now with these witnesses that Christ is listing off is kind of a twofold, right? Yes, they're witnessing about who He is, but they are also what gives Christ the right to judge in this moment. And that is the same as what happens today. If you think about all men, know that there is something beyond us. Even if it's from creation, as the Apostle Paul states, all men know the unbeliever and the believer alike have been witnessed to. And if you think that this isn't true, think about recent events. Think about whenever COVID was starting or whenever the stuff with Israel and Hamas began or whenever you think about Russia and Ukraine, the armies of the north. I would promise you that probably 80% of us have had an in-person conversation, a phone call or text message from a family member, a friend or work colleague that is an unbeliever. But they understand that in this moment, something is happening that they might need to be looking for. And so they are seeking you because you're a Christian and you're the one that knows about this stuff. And so how do you respond in those moments when they begin seeking and they begin seeking you for guidance? Now, I know that one one way you can respond is when they begin telling you this or asking you these questions about what the Bible says about all these different things, just respond with, well, first you need to know that it states that he will come like a thief in the night. So I would start there and put your faith in him. Because no matter what comes about, that is the only way that you're guaranteed to have eternal life. And when you respond with that, you see the Three dots pop up on the text message, and sometimes there's not a response back. But his witness is to all men, and that is what gives him the right to judge. The witness of men, the witness of his works, the witness of Scripture, the very things that he is bringing against the Pharisees are the things that he still witnesses to mankind about and with this day. But we as believers, we have the Trinity And we have scripture and we have examples of his work and his miracles all around us, even in this sanctuary. And so what I would like to challenge us with is for us to sit and examine our faith on a personal level. Go somewhere quiet, whether it's your porch or a field or in the woods or on a walk through your neighborhood. Just someplace quiet where you can think and praise the psalmist did. Lord, search my heart. And then ask, do you believe in the scripture or do you believe in what they point to? Do you believe that there is truth in scripture and it's good to live by this? Or do you believe that scripture is God breathed and it points to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and your faith is in Jesus Christ? Because the difference between believing in Scripture and believing in what Scripture points to is the difference between hearing, Depart from me, for I never heard you, and well done, good and faithful servant. Your faith must be in Jesus Christ. And I pray that we are not as the Pharisees, that we know that there is much more than knowing Scripture. We know that Scripture is living, and Scripture is pointing to the Messiah. And that rather we are as the disciples and the Samaritans, we lovingly follow christ and we obey his teachings and we look forward to the day when we see him again And even though we are social outcasts as the samaritans, we happily declare him to be the savior of the world Let's pray Christ we thank you for your works. We thank you for your witness we thank you for this body For everything that you've given us, we pray for your guidance as we continue to move forward. I pray that you lift us us up and allow us to feel your love. And that you help us to lean on you, to lean on each other, to pray, to lean not on our own understanding. We thank you for all your ways. Amen.